Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Chitillo Coster. Question for you. When was the last time you really dug into your profit and loss statement? A couple of weeks ago, podcast guest Sierra Stockland talked to us about inventory and finance. It's episode 229 if you haven't heard it yet. I don't know if it was people hearing that episode, the state of the economy right now, or a little bit of both, but I've been having a lot of conversations about finances with clients and lounge members of late. I'm glad these conversations are happening because finances and profitability are some of the most important parts of running a product-based business or any business. If you're crunched financially, that comes with a lot of pressure and stress and rightfully so. That's why today I wanted to talk through some of the things you should think about and consider when you're trying to grow your business and or increase your profitability. And of course, there is certainly nuance to every business and situation that I can't possibly cover them all here. So take everything I say with a grain of salt and think of it as food for thought versus diehard facts. Not surprisingly, there were a few common themes that kept popping up in all of these conversations. Some were trying to cut expenses because they're seeing a slowdown in sales. Some were trying to take more money out of the business so they could quit their day job. And some just realized they hadn't actually focused on profitability as much as they should have. Once I started digging in and getting to the root of the issue, new patterns started to emerge. The most common was an attempt to cut expenses because an accountant or CFO told them to. In some cases, the thing that CFO went after was paid ads, presumably because it was the highest expense. The second biggest victim of these cuts? Software. There was another case where this particular business owner wanted to be able to take more money out of the business so they could quit their day job. From a revenue perspective, they were doing great, seven figures a year. But there was barely anything left over to withdraw. While the biggest culprit was some debt that accumulated during the pandemic, the other biggest expense? masterminds, and agencies that didn't quite bring the ROI to justify them. Knowing how to manage all of this can be tricky, though. You have to invest in order to grow, right? So how do you balance what you invest in with actually making money? How do you adjust these investments when you see a dip in sales? How do you decide when you should invest in a mastermind, a group program, a course, a coach, or a membership like The Lounge? How do you know when you can get rid of that monthly subscription to that software program? Let's talk about it. I want to start with taking advice from your financial people. I am all for getting support with things that you are not the best at. 
And managing your finances might be one of those things. But before you go cutting every expense your CFO tells you to, especially if they're new to your business, make sure you do your due diligence to ensure that it's actually the right move for your company. Maybe this is the cynical New Yorker coming out of me, but I've been seeing, as have some of my other business friends, that these high-priced accountants, CFOs, or finance coaches are charging exorbitant fees and then telling you to cut things that are actually making you money. For instance, let's say you're running ads, and maybe you're even outsourcing that to an agency. They might look at your P&L and see a big expense for ads. But if those ads are profitable, cutting them may actually just mean lowering your revenue, in which case you would end up at the same profitability you are now or less so. This is probably going to come up with software too. While there might be some subscriptions that you're just not utilizing and can do without, there might be something else that on the surface looks expensive, but ultimately saves you a lot of money in another area like labor because it increases your efficiency. This can especially be the case with customer service tools such as Gorgeous. And I know so many people get concerned about the cost of their email marketing platform, but as long as it is profitable and you are making more revenue than you're spending on it, you are good. While there is nothing inherently wrong with having this sort of person in your corner, please do your own due diligence before you cut everything they recommend. Typically, they're going to go after the highest expense first, but not necessarily do the research to determine how that might affect the rest of your business. It's up to you to dig deeper with them and make sure that cutting something in one place isn't going to hinder you somewhere else. Like most things in business, this is really just a math problem. Do the math. If you know ads are currently getting you an X return on your money, when you lower that budget, what does that do to your revenue? If you've been seeing a dip in organic revenue recently, cutting those ads is probably going to hurt you more than help you. For others, the opposite may be true. I've seen people cut their ads altogether because they were able to make up the difference in revenue through other organic means like email and product launches, which were ultimately more profitable. At the end of the day, it just depends and you've got to do the research. All right, let's talk about investing in your education. As someone who sells courses and has a membership, I absolutely believe in investing in education. But not every offer out there is right for your business at any given time. I'm going to break down the most common offers out there, what they typically consist of, what to look out for, and who they're generally best for. Let's get started with masterminds. Mastermind is a word that gets thrown around a lot in the online space. These days, they come in many different forms, which can be pretty damn confusing. The idea of masterminds was first articulated by Napoleon Hill in his book, Think and Grow Rich. Masterminds are essentially groups of two or more people who come together with the aim of solving problems. The idea is that when multiple minds come together, you create another mind, an invisible, intangible force, as he said, the mastermind. Essentially, any group of more than one person that is sharing ideas and solving problems can be considered a mastermind. And truth be told, I see some programs that are marketed as masterminds, but when you get down to it, they don't really offer the support I would expect from such a high price tag. 
What I typically associate with the word mastermind is a small intimate group of 10 or so people who rotate hot seats and can get support from the group. For the best results, these people are going to be at similar revenue levels and everyone needs to be super committed. If people aren't showing up, you have no mastermind. While masterminds can be super powerful, as mentioned, they do come with a high price tag and a commitment. Typically six or 12 months, though there may be some three and four month commitments out there. Another one of the downsides of a paid mastermind is that you don't get to pick who the other members of the group are. One would hope that the facilitator would do a good job of curating the members to ensure everyone can give as much as they take. But ultimately, that's out of your hands. For all you know, they just let people in for the sake of hitting their revenue goals. And while revenue is often a driving factor in how groups are put together, that doesn't necessarily mean you're all on the same wavelength in terms of your goals and expectations from the group. I know, there's that cynical New Yorker again, but I sure have heard some horror stories. When I put together the Megamind a few years ago, which was more of a group program and mastermind hybrid, which we'll talk about in a bit, I put out a survey to my audience to get a feel for what they were looking for in a mastermind and to learn about some of their previous experiences making this level of investment. Two of the things that stood out were that the hot seats were often pretty superficial and that there wasn't much support in actually implementing what was suggested. That feedback led me to create an accompanying curriculum and to require hot seat submissions ahead of time. I provided everyone with some prompts to make sure they really thought through the topic they wanted to brainstorm and get support with. So who is a mastermind right for? Ultimately, it's going to depend on the group itself and how it's structured. But if we're talking about the hot seat type membership, then I think it's best for those who are already established and seeing success in their business, but are ready to think outside of the box and take it to the next level, or if you need to make grown-up business decisions. It's also really great for making connections and creating deeper relationships with other business owners who are working toward the same thing that you are. Masterminds likely are not for you if you're still struggling to make ends meet in your business, if you're trying to get on solid ground with your growth plan, if you're looking for a Hail Mary, or if you need to learn a specific skill. If that's the position you're in, you're likely better off working one-on-one with someone who can get you set on the right path. And that doesn't even necessarily mean an ongoing one-in-one engagement. Sometimes it's an audit of your business or a one-off strategy call to get you some quick clarity on your best next steps. You can also create your own mastermind. While there is, of course, value to a paid mastermind group and having the support of the facilitator, you can also create your own peer-led group. I do find this also works best with established businesses, so it's not the blind leading the blind. But even for those just starting out, sometimes you just need someone else who gets your struggles and can support you and lift you up when you need it. There are, of course, downsides to free masterminds as well. Someone still needs to be the leader, and typically people aren't quite as committed to things when they haven't paid for them. But if you can rally the right group together, it can still be pretty powerful. Next up are group programs. Group programs are typically a few weeks long, say six or eight weeks, where a group of people are all working toward the same goal. 
Like masterminds, group programs can come in different forms and structures and whether or not it's right for you is going to depend on your current needs and where you're at in your business. Most group programs are created in one of two ways. The curriculum or process is based on what the facilitator does with their one-on-one clients and it just gets put into a group setting so they can serve more people in the same amount of time. Or It's a curriculum they plan on turning into a DIY course, but they want to walk through it live with a group of students to get feedback before they put it out into the world. A great example of this might be me turning my one-on-one process of setting up someone's email marketing flows into an easy-to-follow step-by-step process and then hosting a group program where people can work through the content but get my feedback over X number of weeks. I've also hosted a mini group program exclusively for lounge members on content strategy and planning. The majority of the content we covered is already available inside the lounge, but something about the accountability that was created when it was structured week over week with support from the hosts, it just hits different. You might also find a group program slash mastermind hybrid. That's really what the Megamind was. I knew there were certain things most of my audience weren't super versed in, even though they were already super successful in their business, like analytics and ads. To make sure we addressed that, but also provided the high-level support of a mastermind, we did a combination of live training and rotated hot seats among the members. Like the mastermind, group programs do require commitment. If the goal of the program is to learn and implement something and you want the feedback of the facilitator, then you definitely need to show up in order to take full advantage. I think group programs are great when you want to level up or learn a specific skill, have the time to dedicate to them, and need the accountability of the group and the facilitator to get things done. Courses, on the other hand, which are also great when you want to level up a specific skill, but these are more self-paced. So I have a course that teaches you how to read, interpret, and take action from your Google Analytics. I also have a course that teaches you how to take advantage of all the Klaviyo features. I'm even working on a course to teach you how to do SEO and how to run a product launch. Some courses are a bit more high level, covering multiple of these topics. One of these days, I will probably create the e-commerce badassery course that includes all the things. The lounge is already halfway there. Those are generally more expensive, but likely come with a community to lean on and serve as something you can go back to and reference over time as your business grows. The one trick about courses is because they're self-paced, you need to be able to keep yourself accountable for actually doing the work and implementing what you learn. Some course creators may offer VIP options such as material review, one-on-one calls, or even a live course experience similar to a group program. If you struggle with accountability and follow through, it's probably worth it to invest in the additional support. Next up, memberships. Like most of what we discussed so far today, memberships do come in many different forms. Some memberships will be all around a specific topic such as email marketing. And others, like my membership for e-commerce business owners, The Lounge, is a bit more all-encompassing. In most cases, memberships are going to be the lowest investment option, but not always. There are a range of different price points out there. The Lounge is $47 a month, but there are memberships that are hundreds of dollars a month or even some that are less than 20 bucks a month. It obviously depends a lot on the topic, the content, and the support you get. 
Some memberships have monthly focuses where a specific masterclass is released and the idea is everyone is working on the same thing, similar to a group program. And others are a bit more choose-your-own-adventure, like the lounge. We teach you how to determine what to focus on in your business and then give you the tools to implement it. There are other memberships that just deliver content ideas on a weekly or monthly basis for social and email. Honestly, there's pretty much a membership out there for any topic you might be interested in. Memberships are a great way to get ongoing support and typically for a lower price than other educational options out there. You'll want to do some research about the membership though and make sure it meets your needs. For instance, I was in a membership when I first started my business, but it was too general and too big. There was a lot of content that wasn't really relevant to me and there was little to no FaceTime with the hosts. Sure, there was a lively, engaged community, which was nice, but I still felt like a needle in a haystack. What I ultimately found a lot more valuable for myself was a smaller program that let me create deeper connections with the other members and the host. The lounge is a similar example. The group is smaller, and while we are planning on growing it long term, my co-host Nicole and I will always be the ones guiding the group and answering strategy questions. Sometimes in larger groups, even higher level group programs, it's not actually the coach who's leading it. It's someone on their team. What is going to be right for you is going to depend on what you need, but memberships are great for getting ongoing support at a more affordable price point that doesn't necessarily require you to show up all the time. So what if you decide you need more one-on-one support and these group options or self-paced DIY options just aren't cutting it? One-on-one support is going to be the biggest investment of all, but it's 100% undivided attention on your business from someone who is well-versed in the thing you're getting help with. The big trick here is figuring out what sort of one-on-one support you need. If you want help specifically with growing your e-commerce business, then in that case, you'd hire a specialist like me. Specialists are going to be able to see your blind spots, uncover insights, and set you on the right path for where you want to go next for the specific thing that you're struggling with right now. If, on the other hand, you're thinking bigger, like what is the vision for your life, then you might want a more general business mindset or life coach. True coaches are good at helping you identify where you might be getting in your own way or bringing clarity to what you actually want your life to look like. For instance, a previous client of mine recently shared how she always had a bigger vision for her brand versus just selling the product that she sells. She's been working with a coach for the last year or so, and it helped her to bring clarity to that vision and what that actually is going to look like in real life. And now she's actually starting up a new side venture. While one-on-one is great for undivided attention and getting support on your next steps and what to do, what if you actually need the work done for you? Let's talk about investing in service providers and agencies. Who you should invest in is going to depend on so many factors like your skill set, your time, your team, your budget. This is honestly one of the most difficult decisions to make, especially when it comes to your marketing activities. For instance, if you have a wide product assortment and source from a lot of different vendors, it's a no-brainer that your inventory manager should be an in-house person. Customer service is typically better with in-house people as well because they know your business and customers and product way better than any outsourced agency could. 
But what about things like Facebook ads or email marketing? How do you decide? Sometimes it seems like you should wait until you hit a certain revenue number before you invest in a service provider. But at the same time, investing in someone to do it right the first time could mean that you get that revenue number faster, right? It's often less expensive to outsource than it is to hire an actual W-2 employee, but you still need someone to oversee and facilitate that relationship to make sure they're up to date on what's going on in your business. Am I getting to an answer here? I'm not sure, but here are some things to think about when it comes time to decide. First, let's talk about deciding between hiring an employee or outsourcing. Hiring employees comes with a whole lot of extra red tape and expense, but sometimes it truly is the best decision for your business. While the final answer is going to depend a bit on your unique situation, here are some things to think about. How much information do they need to do their job? This is probably the most important question to ask yourself. Using the inventory management example, that person needs to be really well-versed in what's going on in your business to do this job effectively. They need to be on top of your sales and know if certain products are getting poor reviews or being returned a lot. They need to be up on your marketing and launch plan so they can ensure you're properly stocked. Another example is if you're really reactive in your marketing. When I first started e-commerce badassery, I was doing email maintenance for clients. One of those clients was very reactive in their marketing, partly because they got a lot of unexpected press and influencer mentions, and because they were really pop culture focused, they would often create new products in response to things that went down. As an outside person, it was way too hard for me to keep up with that. They would email me and want an unplanned email to go out that same day. That just wasn't happening. Even if I were a full-blown agency with a team, rarely is that kind of turnaround going to be possible. The next question is, what is your backup plan if they get sick, go on vacation, or quit unexpectedly? One of the issues with small in-house teams is often there's only one person who knows how to do the thing that that person does. This was often the case for me at my previous day job. Having the work ethic that I did, I never left the team hanging, but that can be pretty hard to come by. The nice thing about agencies is there will always be someone to fill in if needed. But again, it's going to depend on what the job is. Certain things like email marketing or posting on social, that's easier for someone to take over than paid ads, for instance. The last question is, how specialized is the skill? While there are, of course, people out there who are specialists and can do things better and or faster than someone who isn't, how easy is this to learn? Take email marketing, for example. Sure, I've been doing email for a long time and can hit the ground running compared to someone who's brand new to it. But with a little research, practice, and testing, anyone can do a decent job at email. Web development? That's a bit of a different story. That requires a lot of training and hands-on learning before someone can do that successfully. Even at my previous day job, we outsourced anything development-wise. It wasn't worth the time, energy, or effort to build our own in-house team. Now, if you're going to outsource something to an agency versus hiring in-house, it's important that you find the right agency for you. They are not all created equal and many of them focus more on getting new clients versus keeping the ones they already have, which means the service sometimes leaves a lot to be desired. 
So the first thing I want you to focus on is being a big fish in a small pond. If you're looking at an agency's website and see businesses that are three to 10x or plus your size listed as clients, that is not the right agency for you. In most cases, you want to be the big fish. You don't want to be the guinea pig necessarily, but you do want to be at the top tier of their client roster. Why? Because you'll get more attention. With so many layers inside a typical agency structure, there are a lot of mouths to feed. You've got the account manager who manages the relationship with the client. You've got the creative team that typically includes graphic design, copywriters, etc. Then you've got the managers who oversee the account managers and the list goes on. Because this type of structure requires a good amount of volume to be profitable, the A players are going to be assigned to the A clients. And the smaller your contribution to the bottom line, typically the more junior your team is going to be. That's not to say that all agencies are bad or they don't have value in the space, but as the small fish, you're not likely to get the attention you deserve. You should also be prepared for turnover. Agency work is a pretty common entry-level position for recent college grads, and it's a tough environment to work in. If you're on the lower tier of their client roster, it's likely you'll go through a few different account managers. You also want to make sure to find out where their team works. Some agencies build their teams with remote workers who live in less expensive parts of the world. Depending on what it is they're doing for you, it might not matter, but it can also hinder the quality or turnaround time of the work. And of course, time zones can really screw up your communication. For instance, in my previous day job, we were working with an SEO agency whose writers were mostly outside of the U.S., Because of the delicate nature of our industry, a lot of the copy they wrote and the way they approached certain topics, it just was not appropriate for our brand. Eventually, we just hired our own writers. There was also a consultant we used at the very beginning when I was actually still working in my previous position. Their developers were based in India. Oh my God, it just took forever to get things done. Hiring developers in the States is certainly more expensive, but depending on your needs, it's worth the extra investment for less headaches. All right. The last thing that I want to talk about today is knowing your numbers, more specifically, your gross margin and your net profit numbers. As we discussed in the inventory and finance episode with Ciara and the selling your business episode with Christine, net profit is the most important number in your business. Your gross margin is a very close second because that margin is what allows you to invest in your business while still leaving money on that bottom line. Now, statistics say that most online retailers see a 40-ish percent gross margin and a 7-ish percent net profit margin. The problem with these statistics is they're most likely looking at higher volume businesses where those percentages still equal a lot of dollars. For a $1 million revenue business, a 7% net profit margin is about 70K. For 500K, it's only 35. I typically recommend shooting for a 60% gross margin. Not every business will be able to achieve this, but get as close as you can. Even being in the mid 50s will get you pretty far. In terms of net profit, is 70K a good number for a $1 million revenue business? Well, it depends. First question is, what is the structure of your business and how do you pay yourself? 
If you're an LLC that is taxed as a sole proprietorship, it's likely you just pay yourself based on whatever profit is left over at the end of the month. In that case, is 70K a year with nothing left over for the business? Good for you. However, if you're an LLC that is taxed as an S-Corp or you're a corporation, in that case, you're paying yourself a reasonable salary for the work that you do, which gets lumped into wages and effectively lowers your net profit. By the way, when you sell, your wages as the owner will get added back in and adjust your net profit number. So in that case, a 7% profit margin might not be too shabby for you, right? Because that's going to be on top of the salary you're already taking. As for benchmarks, 10% net profit is typically considered average, 20% is good, and 5% is bad. Ultimately, what are good margins to you are going to be different than the next business because you have different businesses, goals, aspirations, etc. And that's the case with everything we talked about today. At the end of the day, the most important thing I want you to take away from today's conversation is to get intimate with your numbers, understand how they all affect each other, get clear on your goals and the numbers you're trying to reach so you can make educated decisions about how to get yourself there. Be critical of all the advice you get, no matter how qualified it seems. And when it comes time to invest, be clear about what you need and make sure whatever it is you're investing in is giving you exactly that. This episode turned out to be a lot longer than I expected, and it's a little heavy going into a holiday weekend for those of you in the States. It isn't even what I originally had on the schedule to share today, but I just had to get this episode out sooner rather than later. Thank you for listening through to the end. If you have a biz friend that you think needs to hear this, please do them a favor and share it with them. And if listening to this got you thinking, shit, I need some one-on-one attention, you can either book a strategy call on my website or join the lounge membership. Members can book 30-minute one-on-one calls at an exclusive price. It's a great way to get my ongoing support as well because you can book them as often as you want. There are members who book them monthly and a new member I had a call with the other day, once they realize they can book them anytime they want, they're scheduling them bi-weekly. It's literally the least expensive way to work with me and comes with a ton of other support as well. As always, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me today and hanging in till the end. I hope that you found this valuable and that it gave you a little bit of clarity on where you should and shouldn't be spending your money in your business right now. Have a kick-ass rest of your day and I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.